0: Hey, Daniel, how's it going? Hey, Evan. I think as always for the past few podcasts, I've been complaining about puppy issues. Uh, I'll regale you with one story right now, just because I was running late to our podcast recording here. Uh, I'm currently tearing up my backyard, all the grass and putting a new grass seed. And when you do that, it gets really muddy because you have to water it every day. And my puppy has decided that he loves running in the mud and then jumping on me. So I'm
1: probably covered in dirt here and I apologize. (laughs) Uh, How's your day going though? It's going okay, I am on your time zone for a change uh in New York, sitting in a hotel room, so listeners, sorry if there's knocking or loud background noise at some point. Mm-hmm. um yeah, so I um, doing this on vacation for a change, so it's a nice little different different view. <laughs>
0: maybe I'll catch you. I'll be in New York City tomorrow or Sunday, so maybe oh, maybe yeah, we'll I'm have some till, some
1: overlap. I'm here till Monday, so. If you have free time, let me know. All right. Well, uh, this is Season 2, Episode 6. We are calling IT slash IS Process and um, Impacts on Revenue Cycle. So um, diving into a little bit of revenue cycle and IT governance um, with our guest today. Cool. Well, we can jump right in. I'm excited
0: for this one. I think this probably plays what I do in my day today. So... Uh, But I'll go ahead and introduce our first guest uh, with a background in healthcare IT consulting um, with a focus on referrals and the Tapestry Epic application. So I think this might be our first Tapestry uh, person on the call, which is fun. Mm -hmm. And a master's in information and a specialty in human-computer interaction. And then passionate about designing streamlined workflows and keeping the patient focus in the revenue cycle work. I think we forget that often, so it's good to hear. Um, And then currently... Uh, the Manager of Referral and Eligibility Revenue Cycle Systems and Services. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us
1: here.
2: Hey, thank you for having me. All
1: right. Well, I get to introduce our second guest, who's uh, not an uncommon guest, a reoccur, where it, this has kind of been fun. We're starting to get reoccurring guests now, so... Um, on podcasts, uh, She's our Director of Growth and Development here at Wilshire. Uh, she has over uh, 30 years of experience in revenue cycle, primarily focusing on that front end uh, in that front end space. Um, currently uh, filling in in an interim role and partnering with Allison on a more frequent basis. So we thought it would be nice to invite Patty to join in on the conversation. So welcome back, Patty.
3: All right. Thanks. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here.
1: All right. Well, in today's topic, we um, thought we'd start off by uh, getting both Allison, yours and Daniel's thoughts on the current and past uh, IS leadership on, uh, you know, being past leaders in IS. Kind of where do you guys see um, insourcing uh, for your own support versus outsourcing to a business partner? And how does that kind of been playing in? In That's one of the hot topics right now. We're seeing a lot of that in-source versus outsource conversation, not only in the revenue cycle where operations where Patty and I constantly are living, but now we're starting to see it more on the IT side. I can start us out. I have less experience with this, um, but I do have a little bit.
0: Um The insourcing and outsourcing conversation, I think we had this recently, I forget who we were talking with on the podcast, but like the strategic partnership versus just like uh, another head or like another talking head that gets plugged into the organization. I have found that it's really hard to get someone who knows your organization in and out and really understand like what it is that you do day to day. um, If you if you outsource, Um, I think a lot of times like even just like in my epic background, I step in somewhere and I'm like, I know how things generally should work, but I don't know how it works for you. And so I'll maybe try to put like a cookie cutter approach to what could be a really complicated issue for you. Um, that's that's the the first thought that I have had. And when I get plugged in places is that I, I'm i guilty of this <laughs> myself if I'm a, if I'm an outsource help. Uh, and I just apologize in advance to anyone that I've worked with where I've <laughs> maybe taken a, a very generic approach. <laughs> approach to what could be a really complicated issue and just not understood it fully.
2: I I think that that makes a lot of sense. And it resonates with my personal experience, too. I think that it's important to be strategic about your external partnerships. And if you're bringing people onto your team, um, what tasks you have in mind for them really makes a difference. If it's something that you're just needing to staff up on, and there are pretty straightforward, um, defined items that you need them to work on, then that makes more sense to me. Uh, But when it comes to like, getting ingrained in the workflows and really um, understanding the ins and outs of the organization. I, I agree that keeping that knowledge internal and growing that knowledge internal to your organization is really um, a better fit long-term.
3: And honestly, from a revenue cycle perspective, um, we just need a partner that will become part of the team, you know, collaborate and and is aligned with us. Whether you're in-source or outsource, it, it's not that big of a deal, but um, we just need a collaborating partner.
1: You know, I find it interesting in that regards, because when I look at it from a perspective, Uh, with a couple of the clients that we've been partnering with, we've actually have said, hey, bring us in and we'll do your routine day-to-day operations while you start to grow your teams and start to develop Mm -hmm. their skill sets, which is a little unique in that sense of like, hey, let, uh, you know, do that growth. But what we found is 90% of the time our team gets pulled in to actually help with that development process too, of like training somebody on how to do the work and develop a workflow or do that. So um, I think it's a, Good opportunity when you know it, health systems are looking at how do they partner with outsourced with you know an outsourced business partner versus just saying hey let's insource it and try to grow it is is leverage leverage those look for those individuals who can understand or already understand the workflows out there that mm-hmm. broadly from different from different clientele and then bring in those different aspects to say hey you could do it this way you could do it that way. I'm here to just give you that advisory component of of it versus do the work while your team teach and learns to f- physically do that aspect of the work and and then the background. I think Patty's absolutely right. Like as a operational person, you know, trying to figure out like what makes the most sense, um, we just want a partner who can actually jump in and do it, right? Like we're not, we don't care how it gets done. We just want it to get done, and that that sucks. But but I think at the same time, it also is beneficial for. Us on an operational basis, you know, to to think about our counters on those on the healthcare, uh, the IT side of healthcare, to say, wait, 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 they could be developing somebody, they could be bringing in somebody from the outside who doesn't understand our organization because they don't have that skill set. So I think taking all of that into consideration and being open about that helps helps kind of pave that way. Um, sticking with kind of the hot topic on just sourcing of of positions and things of that nature, what are you guys starting to see across to, across the industry of people trying to find those special skill sets, or what are the lacking skill sets out there in kind of that IT or even uh, Patty, even in the operational space where you know we're seeing more and more people having to venture out to business partners to to start off um, in new process improvement flows and things of that nature.
3: Well, it's interesting. You know, um, I want to say 10 years ago, you know, it was very siloed. You'd had the op- the operational revenue cycle folks, and then you had your IT folks, and they're very different. Um, and today, it seems like you've got to have some of that revenue cycle knowledge embedded in the IT folks. You know, they, they're not just IT folks anymore. They, they, they really understand um, the end game. They know what we're talking about. And and especially at stanford um it, it's interesting when i go into conversations with with my it folks there they know what i'm talking about they understand the the work at hand and and what needs to happen and and so having that revenue cycle knowledge is key to 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 you know getting things done i think and and i think i think the longer we go the the more that's going to be really embedded in that it group is that they're really going to have to have that knowledge
2: I agree with that. And I think that having uh, a diverse background of experiences for the IT uh, uh, folks that work on teams as well is very useful. So reaching out to other organizations, reaching out to uh, the Epic resources that we have, and just asking others who we have networked to in the industry what their experiences are. I think that's something that can make us stronger as analysts and can make us uh you know, have a better um, experience with the the organizations that we work with. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of good experience from the consultants in our team, but also we've had a our, our um, FTE population has had the same kind of collaborative approach. So I, I think that I really value that in um, the people that I've worked with.
0: Something at my last organization that I that I was working at, all my analysts had to have an operational background. So we did our first line of hiring from our operational staff into the IT world, which I thought was really unique. So everybody came in with having done over, it was like over eight years that they were looking for of like operational experience, whether as I was like a contract writer or I was a claims manager or some, some sort of operational background, and then you learn the IT. I've never seen that elsewhere. I'm sure it exists elsewhere, um, but it's interesting Looking at the perspective for me, like I come from a world of, I learned IT and then I learned operational workflows, but the the flip side of somebody having to have mm-hmm. started in operations and then how they look at IT was just like a new world for me. to seeing just like the, the different things that p- pop out to them at first. um, And a little different than insourcing, outsourcing, but like if you can insource from your operational staff for the IT world, just a little plug, I thought that was a really unique spin on finding really unique talent. One other story, Just to add here real quick, I'm working on a reporting project and reporting is very holistic. I'm working across all areas of your EMR. So I might be pulling clinical data. I might be pulling revenue cycle data, appointment data. And it's really difficult for a reporting person to know how everything works. Like, How am I supposed to know how orders are dropped to how that creates a visit to the charges that come across in the end? And it's really, really difficult where you have report writers pulling inaccurate data or not knowing how to write a report correctly because they just don't know the overall flow. Um, having somebody who's like kind of lived that day to day is able to pick that up and kind of piece out the um, where, where things might go wrong or how data should flow together. And that talent is just so good to have in an organization.
1: I think, Jen, you're right. I think we're seeing a lot more, uh, uh, especially in the younger generation of workers and workforce members starting to want to say, Hey, I got my start in operations. Now I want to convert over and become an IT analyst and, you know, be able to support. I think one of the caveats with that is I I love it. I I actually have, you know, helped promote several of my former uh, supervisors actually over into becoming a senior IT analyst and doing that. We have what, I would recommend for those individuals who make that change is remember, yes, you have operational background and knowledge, but you still have to rely on operations who makes the final operational decision and they know what is you know a payer needing, what's the payer policy, and that. Um, I I, I my personal experiences is, is I've had you know people leave operations and go over to IT and then be in IT for several years. And then they're still telling you how to do your operations, which I want them to advise me absolutely how the system's going to work and how is that going to happen. But my team needs to know the payer policy, not, the IT analyst that the and my team needs to know how you know they want the referral to present to the patient um, and be able to share that with the IT analyst. This is what my end. This is what my end product. I need is help me get to that end product. Or here's my problem. Help me find that solution. Um, I think that's really important for operations to present a problem and allow their IT teams to help develop what those solutions are. But at the same time. Operations needs to set up the T to say, hey, this is the regulatory requirement. This is the payer requirement. This is what this is. This is how I need it to re- re- reflect versus IT saying, well, you know, for that payer, you need to do blah, blah, blah. Well, that might not be the case anymore. So it might have changed. Policies are constantly changing on a weekly, monthly basis. And that's where I operations needs to be advising IT in that realm versus IT who came from operations saying, well, you know, this is how, this is what this payer wanted. Well, that's what they wanted five years ago. That's not what they want today. So I've seen a lot of that, like when we talk about going back to season one episode, you know, our first episode of um, uh, where we had Kind of a smackdown between Gretchen and Mark. It really became where did operations and IT not speak and where weren't they collaborating? And as we're starting to see more and more of our clients and and partners start to organize, you know, collaborate and do that operationally, I think that's where a struggle still is, especially when people have come from operations and now are in IT, they forget they're not. No, they're no longer, it's not that they're not an expert, but they're probably an intermediate now in operations versus the expert level in operations around certain requirements and things of that nature.
3: Yeah, good point. Take a
0: slightly different spin, keeping in mind, um, just like our operational and IT knowledge. Allison, I'll, I'll put the question to you first, but just what lessons have you learned in growing your knowledge and skills to better support your organization? Like what we, we've had a, a recurring topic here in our podcast, like lifelong learning. Like how how is it that I'm developing my skills over time? I'm curious just to hear your story a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that I continue to have to um, you know, instill in myself and make sure that, that I am doing is um, just having kind of design system thinking and making sure that we have best practices established. And of course we... Um, definitely want to adapt ourselves to the situation and understand the problem, but that's all part of the process in my mind, right? So I think seeing tickets that come in, seeing the little requests that um, are submitted to us by operations as an opening into a larger dialogue about what it is that they need and what we could potentially uh, offer to them as solutions is the right way to think about it and making sure that we're true to kind of the, the process about, really digging in at the beginning and spending enough time asking questions and learning and making sure that we understand what the goals are, what they're trying to accomplish, because very often we have um, problems presented to us in a slightly different way. And as you dig in, you learn, oh, hold on, the the root cause here is something that I didn't anticipate. Um, and I, I think having that open dialogue with uh, our operational partners is crucial. And, you know, I mentioned the process, but as you as you grow, I think another important point that I'm constantly learning is that you don't kind of hit the ideal solution <laughs> and you're done. Um, it's a continuous process of improvement, continuous collaboration, and what works for your team um, two years ago might not necessarily work for your team from a procedural standpoint today. It's something that you have to like continually uh, put the care and feeding into. To make sure that the process is serving your population, your team, and your operational partners.
1: Patty, what about you? How have you continued to, you know, expand and grow? It, you know, both operationally, but also your knowledge around IT and kind of where where that intersects.
3: Well, for one, patience has been a big thing for me. Is you know, before it was always you know, you put in a ticket, you want things done right away. You know, you you want you want fast results and you know, you've got to really learn that there's, there's patience, there's reasons why things don't happen as quickly as you, you expect them to. But second, um, I think, you know, being more proactive with, um, with what I'm trying to do, whether that's, you know, uh, with, with workflows or an implementation or, um, you know, the like, it's, it's, it's making sure that I'm, I've set metrics ahead of time um, so that I know how to get there, you know, because those, those metrics are going to drive me um, to how to implement something. So if I don't set those ahead of time, um, and I and I just put in a ticket or I decide I want a workflow or whatever, and then after the fact I come up with, okay, well, it's it's not going to work because X, Y, and Z. If I put those metrics in ahead of time, it, it's going to be better for all of us in the long run because we're able to, um, you know, be able to evaluate it, um, develop it, whatever whatever it's going to you know take to get us there. But I guess just developing metrics and, and getting ahead of things before we, um, we actually fully implement something. Hopefully that made sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it totally does. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Well on that quick note, we're going to take a short break and we will be right back. Fine medical serves a growing base of more than 800 active hospitals and health systems nationwide. Their best practices are hardwired through technology solutions proven to help hospitals achieve sustainable top performance. Their well-published results include improving financial performance, physician and staff alignment, patient experience, compliance, and patient safety and quality measures. Learn more at findmedical.com. That's V-Y-N-E medical.com. And we're back.
0: All right, Uh, so we're going to move on to our debate segment where we talk about various industry trends and out of the box ideas. Evan, you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah. So, Allison, um, would you mind sharing uh, today's episode is really around like that interaction with IT and operations, and you know, thinking of governance. So, with that in mind, Mm -hmm. can you share kind of what the current structure as of today, Stanford, the Stanford team, and you have been? creating um, to support around that you know completing a governance type of process
2: sure so I'll kind of talk about two different things I, I think we have uh, more of our ticket management process that's uh, been changing recently and then we also have a number of standing sessions and forums uh, to supplement that uh, that workflow so right now we're using um, kind of an agile method using serviceNow as a tool of course um, to manage the tickets that come into us so, We'll, you know, we'll get an initial um, group of tickets, we will triage them and kind of initially assign a rough level of effort once we feel like we understand enough about the request. Um, we'll also identify any blocking questions um, and reach out upfront to t- try to get a little bit more of an understanding of the ticket before we move forward. Um, and then what we're looking to do in the future, what we'd like to move more into is to partner with the operational uh, like product owners or some key representatives from the operational areas to get their uh, priority and um, input into the tickets and sh- slot these into sprints. So we've been doing this um, in a, a more robust way with one of our groups. Um, so we'll have a, an actual meeting, we'll review a board of all of the requests and we'll kind of slide them into different buckets of Something that should be priority and we're going to put it into a future sprint or this is something that can wait um, and that helps us prioritize the work that comes in. It's not something we do with all operational groups yet, but I'd like to. Um, And then based on our capacity, we can kind of say, oh, okay, in a given two week sprint, this is how much we think we can accomplish Um, and set that expectation with the operational groups. That's uh, another kind of learning moment where we're constantly tweaking that process to make sure that it's a little more transparent. But um, that's kind of the direction that we're going right now. And then we do have uh, recurring sessions with um, our operational leaders from different authorization-related areas um, to talk about topics that uh, may touch on tickets or that may result in the creation of future tickets. So that's more of a Um, open forum to discuss anything that is of interest to us. Um, One of the things that I think has been working really well, but isn't something we do with operations yet, though it could be, um, is we're doing an activity called like start, stop, continue (laughs) with our team uh, every week after, or every uh, sprint rather, to understand, okay, this time around, this two-week run where we try to finish these uh, particular requests, what worked for us, what didn't work for us, which we change to do a little bit of self-evaluation and bake that into the process. I think it's it's been really positive uh, from a team perspective, but I think that kind of like step back, how are we doing on a periodic basis is good regardless of who you do that with. <laughs> so I think that um, that's really been helpful for our team.
0: Evan, you're on mute. If you're trying to talk here,
1: yeah, I am. There, I go. <laughs> yes. So definitely entering that PDCA type of you know, process of uh, standard workflow improvement. Hey, can, before you jump into the next portion, you know, this concept of a sprint. Um, it could mm-hmm. be new to some of our listeners. Can you explain what a sprint is in the eyes of
2: uh, in the eyes of Stanford IT? Sure, sure. So we're we're using a sprint to kind of basically use as a unit of of work, it's a two week run of time during which we have uh, established which items that we're going to work on. And we'll spend that two week run working on those items and getting them through the process of from like a request, all the way to implementation and production. Um, So usually, that involves like the usual change control processes and all that. Um, But it allows us to say, measure our work basically in those sprint, um, our known work, I should say, in those uh, sprint buckets. So we can say, last time, how many did we do? Um, in the future sprint, how many did we do? And we try to accelerate the pace of um, the change that we're able to make. Um, sprint velocity, I guess people, you may hear people say uh, that term, but that's really what we're trying to focus on is getting through more by using that two week check-in and making sure we have markers too. Um, hold ourselves accountable,
1: and are you putting operation like optimization projects break fix projects can it be a host of both i, I am mean, assuming a general upgrade you know is not going through a sprint component that's going through you know the regular upgrade process but what what types of items would fall into that um you know and then after that patty a question for you is how how are you seeing you know what types of impacts are you seeing from those sprints from an operational perspective right now
2: that, that's a really good question about the contents of the sprints. We're excluding anything that would be like a break fix. We're working those out of priority anyway. Um, but anything that would be a request or an enhancement outside of the typical upgrade, that's kind of what we're the known work that we know is coming in that we uh, slot into those sprints.
3: Yeah, and from my perspective, um, I think my second week of um, – Filling in at, at Stanford, I, I reached out to Allison and said, I, I love this sprint concept. Um, just the, the communication with IT at Stanford is just great. They're, they're constantly communicating, um, whether it's through the sprint program or through various other, um, as uh, Allison mentioned, IT type meetings, talking about different uh, tickets or um, what's happening. But as far as the sprint piece is, is concerned, um, it's great because you're able to get an idea of where they are with your work that you've submitted. Um, And uh, recently I've, I've asked um, Allison to, okay, can we tweak it a little bit more where I can understand whether it's got a, a ticket has a direct impact to either productivity or patient experience. So then it's not only just a priority ticket. Now there's a, a second priority that's attached to it as well. Cause I want to know, okay, is this um, affecting productivity, and it's not in the sprint this this two weeks, but it's in next two weeks. So that then I can talk to my executives to say, "Hey, it's impacting productivity, and it's going to be worked on within a, a certain time frame." Um, but it, it's been extremely helpful in communication um in, in allowing me to communicate back to my team as far as when something is going to be fixed in a work queue or when uh, something is going to be implemented that they've been waiting for. So it, it, it's great communication.
0: I have a, I have two and questions. Oh, go ahead. Before I ask my, questions. I was just going
2: to say, as uh, as Patty mentioned, we do have kind of standing sessions baked in as part of this process too, at least with uh, a couple of our key operational areas, and that's kind of helped facilitate any of those questions that we may have coming up about the status of things.
0: the The two questions I had for you is, when transitioning to Sprint, have you had to? like adjust or change the structure of what your it team looks like are there like different roles different responsibilities that get plugged in and then the second question would be when you're thinking about the tool that you use to manage sprint like i've often seen like jira or other types of like development tools i think you mentioned service now like what types Mm -hmm. of uh what were you looking at when it came to tool and what like have you struggled with or really benefited from uh with the tool that you're using
2: yeah, no, both good questions. I think when we first implemented this process, um, there was a little bit of adjustment to the team's process flow. I think they had been used to, um, you know, taking tickets as they come in. Um, and then we would each maintain a rather large backlog of tickets as we worked down in our individual piles, if, as it were. <laughs> um, and then with the the new sprint model, we're you know, prioritizing first, adding them to a sprint, and then leaving them unassigned until someone picks them up in the sprint. So we can really see what's being actively worked versus what is not yet um, on someone's plate. And uh, the other question you mentioned about the tool, um, for ServiceNow, I think it's, they have an agile module within ServiceNow that we are using, and that has been helpful. Um, There are obviously some um, improvements that we'd like to make with that. And we've been working with our uh, internal technical teams to see about those, but I think the biggest change that I would be interested in seeing is really to get our operational partners um, security and the ability to be right with us um, in that tool uh, so that they can see their own backlog in the way that we would see it and we don't have to maintain separate boards that we would review with them. We can see the same thing, mark the same thing and they can rank them right there um, either with us or independently and we would see the results.
1: I was going to ask that in in your current world, how are you guys taking the items and saying, okay, here's what the ranking is and here's where it falls operationally, plus with staffing metrics and needing to then say, yep, this falls next in line for that sprint. Can you walk, can you walk us through kind of how, how you're doing that on an IT perspective. And then Patty, how are you providing that, you know, operational feedback directly? Cause it sounds, it sounds like right, Allison. mostly this is where you guys have started doing this newer workflow is more in the um, front end patient access, financial clearance realm, and in, you know, hopes and efforts to expand it throughout other areas of revenue cycle and operations uh, you know, non-revenue cycle operations as well. But I, I'm guessing, you know, you're, currently doing your own PDCA, what's working well, what's not, how do we modify this to be able to roll it out to the next, you know, the next clinical or operational area for support, but kind of understanding how do you guys rank those tickets? And how do you, how do you say, what is our resourcing around this to even say it qualifies for a sprint versus, you know, if this is a bigger project that we're not going to be able to do in that shorter blitz type of deal?
2: I think that's definitely an area of improvement for us um, because right now we, we, we have the standing meetings with our few key operational areas and we'll go through at that meeting and identify the ones that we think are priority. We'll mark those as priority and those are the candidates that will get pulled into the next sprint. Um, there are situations where we have pulled in, you know, too many priority tickets and we do need to carry them over from sprint to sprint. Um, and depending on the level of effort that we've assigned, we use a modified Fibonacci sequence just to identify, like, what's the rough size compared to something totally straightforward and known. Um, and for, for situations like that, um, there's a little bit of uh, an understanding that there can be carryover. I think one of the uh, takeaways for me and the areas that I will be looking into for myself is how do we make that more obvious, those situations where, well, we know this is going to be a bigger project and it's definitely going to last us X number of sprints um, so that we can be upfront with our operational partners about the timeline there and that what that's going to do to the other tickets that we may need to be uh, deprioritizing to get that project finished. Um, that's definitely a work in progress for us, I would say.
3: Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, I think that there's times that when we, we give the message to to the team that, okay, it's in this current sprint, the expectation from the group is, okay, it'll be done at the end of this sprint. There's not that um, ETA that's been given that says, okay, this may take two or three sprints for it to be completed because it is a, a much larger project than maybe the one that they put in the month before. Um, so I think that's something that we still need to develop, develop upon. Um, but um, I think that's why, I also added the uh, the priority, Evan, the, you know, is this impacting productivity or patient satisfaction? Because um, at one point it was just kind of, we we got on a call and we looked at, um, you know, all the tickets and and the group would decide, okay, yep, that's a priority. Nope, that's not a priority. And thankfully we hadn't had any, you know, heated discussions, you know, that one should be, you know, higher than another. But I knew at some point we we're going to get to that point and, and mm-hmm. I needed to make sure that we um, put something, you know, in place that said, OK, well, does it impact productivity or does it impact patient satisfaction? Because mm-hmm. if it does, those two are going to bump us to the top um, and and drive us in a, in a different direction. But um, so far, it's been pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I think it takes me back to my operational go live days with Epic where you're ranking things. Is this a regulatory? Is it a patient satisfaction, exactly, and patient right. safety, <laughs> yep.
2: employees,
1: you know, productivity? What's the financial outcome of, the, of this implementation? And I think keeping that in mind as you score tickets in general or even are placing a ticket where it falls in how How is this expanding from you know the front end and now let's say you guys are i'm I'm sure knowing Patty in her operational world she's already having to say, "Hey i want to work on this with this other group and that's not you know financial clearance, but it's gonna be revenue integrity maybe for you know doing patient estimates or or those components how are how does this process that you're rolling out for that governance when it's dual you know requiring two application teams versus one application teams maybe it's not just referrals and eligibility but now we're needing to pull in you know um resolute or in in the epic world for our listeners and those type of deals how are you how how are you implementing that process or getting buy-in from your counterparts that maybe not have the full process implemented at the same Same magnitude or even coordination or communication speed?
2: Yeah, I think that's a a good question. So because of the the tools that we're using with the uh, Agile module and service now, if, say, the ambulatory team is the first one to catch a ticket that does relate to something that would impact us, we could always create ourselves like a story placeholder, work with them on it, uh, share a content management ticket so that we can move our build together, um, use their ticket to move it to prod, but then make ourselves, um, a, a mechanism for tracking in our sprint mod, uh, our sprint activity as well. If the opposite happens, then I think that we, um, we've been trying to partner more and more with, um, them on sharing so that we have a single content management ticket. We use the single ticket to be together and we would just have to align ourselves in terms of timeline. I think the, um, uh, the best way that we have to do that now is just to reach out to our, our uh, counterparts on the other team and make sure that the timing that we're suggesting makes sense. And that we understand the level of effort from their perspective as well and incorporate that into the ticket um, when we're working.
1: Is, do you see that, um, you know, the outlying pressures of like prioritization number of ticket closures has changed? Cause I know, you know, when I, it's been years, but was, when I was in operations and my I am thinking of my revenue integrity and charge master team, they had to adhere to the same metrics as IT and closure of tickets and turnaround of those tickets in that time frame, even if it took them, you know, we knew it was gonna take us four months to price something out and and do the you know, make sure that it we went through all the appropriate build and those changes and everything, but we only have 30 days to close a ticket and that type of, have you, see, with this modification of putting things into sprint modules and things of that nature and not assigning a ticket, has it, how did you guys change kind of the organizational philosophy of production, 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 process, 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 tickets? Cause you, you're talking about break, fix, and then you're talking about optimization and really, yeah, those are two different things but at the same time if I'm looking at it from an operational lens I need both done and I need them done quickly so how how do you how has how has i t had to modify or influence the the customer at the end of the day, your business partner here on the operational Mm -hmm. side to change their mindset and philosophy around the timeliness of closing our tickets and being able to show us reports that are showing, you know, a lower, a lower percentage of open tickets. Cause if they're open and unassigned, that gives me fear of like, is it going to be lost? You know?
2: Mm -hmm. I think it gets down to strategy and communication. So I I think Communication is key. And when we're talking, keeping an open line with operations, and if they have questions about anything in particular, they can talk to us. That's really important. And making sure that we're showing our willingness to partner on the tickets and really understand what it is that they're looking for is another important piece. And when I talk about strategy, I'm thinking about stepping back, looking at the ticket trends that we're getting and saying, well, we've been getting a a bunch of tickets about topic X. Why Instead of fixing these individual tickets one by one, shouldn't we back up and figure out what the larger picture is here and potentially design something that will eliminate them all and future iterations of these tickets? So I think having that kind of a mindset where both operations and IT um, are talking openly and we're sharing this idea of, okay, well, if, if we're seeing a trend, we should have a better strategy around that. And let's partner on what that would be. Um, that goes a long way into still ensuring that you have a working relationship and they feel like, yeah, we're making progress. We're doing something valuable. Even if it isn't at the like ticket level, it's maybe a little more macro than that.
3: Yeah, no, I agree totally with that. The, the communication and strategic alignment, it, it goes a long way. I mean, they could be making no progress at all, but if we're communicating and and really understand each other it just seems to make such a big difference
2: you know at the end of the day we still need to do the tickets <laughs> but yeah. you know, yeah. i think that you know it's 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 uh it's nice to have that more uh, conversational partnership where you do have bigger strategic goals and you can incorporate the tickets into those goals
3: and there's definitely been challenging conversations about why are we not further along mm-hmm. on this ticket or why are we doing this, you know, this way? And, and definitely Allison has come back with responses and, and action plans. And yeah, definitely there, there there's still those type of conversations, but the the sprints and other things have really made it a lot more uh, seamless and streamlined.
0: Apologize. I'm staying on mute here a lot. My dog is growling and attacking me, but he, <laughs> Seems to have settled down here for a second. Allison, I was curious how you learned about Sprint and how this was something that you decided to implement. I've used it before other places. I think it's great, but I've never used it in an epic context. And I also find that it's a little challenging to learn if you aren't working with other people that have like used it before. Because um, I mean, it is a mildly challenging concept to roll out at first. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious, like, is, is there like books or classes? Like, where did you get started with this?
2: Okay, well, total kudos to the team for uh, really jumping in on this and coming up with most of the ideas here. I don't pretend to be the mastermind behind any of this. <laughs> but I think for me, I was introduced um, in my master's program um, for experience design and as part of the overall design process. Um, so I was familiar with it uh, at a passing level from from that work. But then I think the team uh, has been more and more exposed to it uh, as you know, analysts, I feel like we're becoming more in tune with some of the development processes that have existed for a long time. So uh, it's something that the team and multiple teams at Stanford actually have started to investigate. Um, and there was a learning curve, for sure, when we started uh, going with this process, just one to get a, a handle around the, the, upper, the change for us of our workflow when Originally, we were working with these individual backlogs and we're all taking uh, uh, tickets for ourselves and kind of speaking to those to a, um, a mode where maybe we don't have them under our names yet, but we're collectively responsible for these tickets and we're deciding together how we're going to manage them in these two-week sprints. So um, it, it was a transition, especially that uh, that piece about individual ticket ownership to kind of picking them up as we go and as we have time. Um, And we have been doing a little bit more grooming of the tickets in advance, I would say, Um, but collectively. So I may go out and ask questions about a particular ticket and then not actually go and do the build. Someone from the team could do that. Um, We've we've kind of been working it in that way. So it's been it's been a little bit of a transition. But now I think we've been doing this for a number of months and we've gotten to a place where. We've got a a better routine down. So we have our daily huddles and we will go over um, any blockers that we have, anything that's stopping us from completion of the tickets that are in the sprint. And that'll be our opportunity to talk together about, well, who can help with these blockers? Or we have someone in the group can answer a question or do we need to um, outreach to others? It it kind of gives us that support mechanism um, if you're feeling stuck on a particular thing.
1: And Allison, is everybody participating in it or have you isolated your teams down? You know, I know some IT teams will go, hey, you're on production support, you're on optimization, and you're on, you know, future dep- future upgrade type of thing. Or some teams are like, hey, everybody's taking a little piece of the pie and the coordination um, and spreading the wealth uh, across. So how, how have you structured your team given, you know, making these changes so that the operational owners know like hey what, yes product normal routine break fixes are still being taken care of in in the background but you know making sure resource constraint wise like how have you been able to do that cuz we are seeing more and more IT now start to experience what operations has experienced for years as well as you know reduced in reduced number of resources available to do the work
2: no, that makes a lot of sense. I think right now, our structure is that we all participate in the the sprint activities. um, and we do have an on call, so there is a person who is on point for any break fixes or tickets that come in during that week. And if uh, in the in the huddles that we do have, if there's anything that needs to be spread around because we got a particular break fix heavy week, we do that reshuffling as a group. Um, but to your point about uh, resourcing, I think that you know it's a I think prioritization and focusing on projects that align with the, the strategic goals that operations has goes, can go a long way to um, making sure that we're still being productive and feeling focused um, and getting things done, even knowing that we have a backlog. There are other things that will still need to be done after those uh, priorities get through. So prioritization, I think, is super crucial um, to staying above water in that way.
1: Perfect. Well, on that note, we're going to take another short break, and we'll be right back.
2: There are thousands of medical offices and facilities across America, each navigating through changing regulations and reimbursement models while striving for positive patient experiences and outcomes. A common element in each of these facilities is patient access, the front line of both the revenue cycle and the patient experience. Though diverse in facility size and geography, patient access professionals unite around a common purpose, enhancing the overall patient experience to increase patient satisfaction and outcomes. Through it all, one organization is there to educate, connect, inform, and pave the way toward the future of patient access. The National Association of Healthcare Access Management recognizes the changing role of patient access professionals and their increased importance.
1: And we're back. All, All right. right. Oh, go ahead, Daniel. Back. I was going to say, I think we, we got another question here, right? Yeah, a little one. So um, I'm thinking, you know, kind of Wilshire Lab, but uh, the question that we had come in for the Wilshire Lab was around IT governance and structure. So this whole podcast is kind of fitting right in there for us. So um Think Daniel we just kind of roll everything together? Sounds like a plan to me. All right. Well, um really for us, you know Allison when we were kind of prepping for the call and in the portion um you brought up this concept about product owner roles and we didn't really get a uh, dive into that. Um yeah, it's uh, from that perspective. So thought maybe we could Take the take this recording um, there a little bit and spend a couple minutes on you know getting yours and Patty's insight on really that product owner role.
2: Sure, I mean this is a a concept that we haven't put into full effect yet, but it's somewhere we'd like to go. I know. So uh, for each of our major um, operational areas, uh, we're treating them for our purposes of our agile process uh, like um, product areas. So uh, the product owner for us would be someone from that operational area who can uh, really speak to the direction that they should be taking, what they'd like to see um, for their area, what the priorities are, why those are the priorities. And if there are any conversations about, oh, I want my ticket to be higher than your ticket, (laughs) um, that they could help break that tie um, for for our for our IT so that we could have a clear um, idea of what priorities would be for that area. Um, like I, I mentioned, we don't have these assigned yet in a formal way, um, but in an ideal world, I think we may have um, product owners for the various areas, and then we could interact with those um, individuals either directly in our tool for ServiceNow, and we could see their backlogs. Like I mentioned, and Um, adjust those and prioritize and work with us to do that. Um, Or we could have kind of touch points if we had any kind of concerns coming up about timelines or anything like that. So that's kind of what I would ultimately hope for from the product owner role.
1: Very cool. So Patty, hearing that, how would you then kind of assign yourself and all of the leaders underneath of you to become those? Or maybe it's not even a leader. Maybe it's a super user in the team, you know, that type of aspect. Like what, what are your initial thoughts?
3: Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, from a uh, an executive leader or from a, a director standpoint, um, I need to make sure that I involve my IT partners um, in the very beginning from with strategic de- uh, decisions. Um, if I'm going to be successful in whatever I'm going to do, whether that's you know workflow optimization or, or whatever, um, I need to involve my IT partners because they're going to help me become successful. And if they're if they're involved in the very beginning. Then when those tickets start to come in, they're going to know what my vision is. And so if my my supervisors or my managers are putting in these tickets, they they should ultimately know what the department's vision is, and not have these questions that um that come up um along the way. So I, I think it kind of it goes to the very beginning. I think is where I, I'm going with that. Um and then and then definitely for sure involve them in those conversations later on.
1: Yeah. I'm finding myself in that same boat right now. I had to kind of say, you know, I need Epic to be the source of truth. Like I'm filling in Allison right now as an executive in term leader too, for a client. And I'm like, nope, Epic needs to be our source of truth. Let's get our claim edits in Epic. Let's get the estimates to live in Epic where we see what we actually estimated and all of our forms and electronic signatures and everything. So it is very interesting to start to see how, you know, you're, as I hire leader you're giving the strategic vision and now like i've even had to tell my uh, my assistant directors and directors underneath my role to say no 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 let's have a super user at the table they know their workflow they're going to be able to say well this is going to impact me this way let the let them provide some you know guidance and in, into the components as well of their of the work and those tickets that are being placed um in that regards well daniel i think we have time for one quick more question. Um, do you want to uh, get that final thought from everybody?
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm having a final thought here as well, where I'm like, and like operational folks getting service now access, they're gonna start like throwing things on sprint that weren't assigned that week just to like add their tickets <laughs> and be like, how did that get there? Um, but <laughs> outside of uh shenanigans, uh, any final thoughts on governance that you think would be like a big takeaway for our listeners to think about? Allison, I'll start with you.
2: Sure. I, I mean, I think that whatever uh, you know process uh, you set up or with your your team needs to work for your team and your operational partners, and it it needs to be living. So it's something that you should be actively evaluating and reevaluating over time. Because just because you try thing A and it you have to decide if it worked or not, and if it didn't work, then you have to try something else. But Part of the, um, the agile mindset, I think, that we're really trying to adopt is trying to continuously improve um, and collaborate better. So those are my, my key takeaways.
0: And Patty, what about for you? Anything that you think would be like a big governance takeaway just from a more operational, like seeing how this is all played out?
3: I go back to, you know, I guess what I've been saying all along is um, just that collaboration with IT partners. I mean, if you look at The way healthcare has evolved, um, whether you talk about the electronic health record or population health or digital health, it all involves technology. So there's got to be someone at the table that represents, you know, IT. Um, And so they've got to be part of that strategic direction and conversation um, in in the very beginning. And I think as much as you, I mean, the more you collaborate with these partners and become a, a part of the team, less siloed, the better we're going to be, um, and the more successful we're all going to be. And, and we need that. I think going on, going into the future with, um, with technology.
0: Cool. And then just, uh, thanks for joining us here. And if folks want to collaborate with you further, just going on that collaboration idea, uh, what would be like the best way for them to reach out to you? Allison, is there a preferred method of like communication carrier pigeon LinkedIn? Like where do, where do folks <laughs> go to talk to you?
2: I would say LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as Ellison Prez. Yep.
0: What about you, Patty?
3: Same thing. Email or um, um, uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn, Patty Consolver.
0: Very fun. Well, I think that wraps up our conversation on
1: ITIS requests and impacts in the revenue cycle. Evan, want to take us out? Yeah. um, Thanks again for joining us. Uh, You can always find Daniel and I on LinkedIn or on the Wilshire website. Um, We would love to hear questions from all of you. So please um, feel free to submit a question. That's it for us today. We'll talk to you all later. Bye-bye. If you like today's episode, continue to join Wilshire Wednesdays. You can follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Evan underscore Wilshire. Daniel can be followed at Daniel underscore TWG, Wilshire Group at TWG Health, on Facebook at the Wilshire Group, or on Instagram at Wilshire IT Revcast. Remember, if you prefer to watch, come check
0: us out at the Wilshire IT Revcast YouTube channel.
1: If you have an inquiry, want to share your thoughts, or get additional information on today's episode, email us at Wilshire Podcast at the Wilshire Group.com. The best way to support this podcast is to review, rate, and subscribe. See you next time. Bye-bye. The Wilshire IT Revcast is hosted, produced, and engineered by Evan Martin and Daniel Bianchini. It is executive produced by Gretchen Case, Hank Smither, and Spencer Thielman. The Wilshire Group. Experience you can trust. Results you can count on.